Okay, so welcome to this bonus, bonus edition of the MacGuffin Report. Um, Rachel and I have been doing these quarantine edition, quarantine viewing mini-series podcasts for six weeks, and uh, just wanted to tie a few loose ends with episode epilogue. Let's not call it episode seven, let's just call it episode afterward, right? Episode bonus, the sequel to the series, even. Thanks to all our listeners, those who listen to the show and those who continue to listen to the MacGuffin Report. Uh, apparently, we're going to be back very soon with regular MacGuffin Reports with Walter Hong, who we miss very much. Do we not, Rachel? Oh, so much. We miss him tremendously. He's, he's... The guinea pig misses him. <laughs> uh, guinea pigs are going nuts into the quarantine, too. So thanks to all our listeners, including those who, who wrote to us or responded to us on various social media platforms. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. We, we discussed one of these in a prior episode, one of the emails that we got in a prior episode. But here is another one that we can discuss. Um, got a very long email about episode one, which, like this quarantine situation, seems like it took place forever ago. This was on the one that we did on Raiders of the Lost Ark and Big Trilogies. Several points here. We'll paraphrase some of these, but we'll go into the detail on some of these. Point number one. There are four of them. Point number one. I was surprised that there was no mention of George Lucas in this episode, meaning the episode one, and only one passing reference to Star Wars. It seemed like you were crediting the whole idea to Spielberg and treating the thematic resemblance to Star Wars as a coincidence. I can speak to part of that. Yeah, go for it. So part of the reason why there was no mention of George Lucas is we actually did talk about him, but there's only so much room in a short podcast, so some stuff has to be cut, um, unfortunately. But yeah, I do think that was an important thing that people do need to know. Oz, do you have anything to say to our dear reader? There's a line in the movie The Player, which is all about producers in Hollywood, where the guy says, how come there's no... Academy Award for Best Producer. We tend not to talk about producers so much when we talk about movies. Um, You know, not even just in Hollywood, but pretty much everywhere these days. And there's a reason for that. And I think part of it is because the word producer is cheap. A lot of times when you see stuff like executive producer or co-producer, it just means that somebody footed the bill in one location uh, and they wanted a credit. Uh, Sometimes even actors will sign on saying, I'll only be in this movie if you give me a producer credit. So the kind of, the label has become kind of cheap in the modern day. And as far as the thematic resemblance to Star Wars, well, Rachel gave us the rundown of the hero's journey. And the truth is there's a lot of movies that have these thematic resemblances. Okay, yes, if you're talking about something like they hearken back to the action-adventure movies of the youth of the baby boomers, basically is what we're talking about, the auteur directors of the 70s, Lucas Spielberg et al. Yeah, you can see that, but I don't know. I didn't think that that coincidence was that big a deal. I think that this is in a lot of movies. You can see a lot of these elements. So, Oz, can I make a note about the best producer Oscar? Sure. Sure. The Oscar for best picture is actually kept by the producer. Yeah. Right. So That's what I always is say. One, but right. it's not called best producer. Right. It's right. called right. best you, picture. <laughs> you read my mind. My stock answer to that always is there is one. It's called best picture. 
You're absolutely right, Rachel. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> okay, here's a good one for you. You'll like this one, Rachel. Here you go. Fun fact. And and the dog lovers out there will certainly love this. Oh, I think, no, I think I know this one. Yeah. This, apparently, Lucas is obsessed with his dogs. Uh, let's see. Indiana's first name comes from Lucas's dog, an Alaskan Malamute, the very same dog who inspired the character of Chewbacca in Star Wars. Indiana would ride sitting upright in the front passenger seat of Lucas's car, and Lucas was amused by the th- by the thought that he looked from the outside like a hairy co-pilot. So he gave Han Solo a hairy co-pilot as well, hence the Millennium Falcon's two pilot seats, with Chewie always sitting on the right. In Crystal Skull... Willie and Short Round are both named after dogs, and right at the end of Last Crusade, Indy's name gets a similar in-universe explanation. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, of course. Yeah. That's He's so named cute. after the dog. Yes. Yeah. Named the dog, Indiana, is the line. Thanks, Okay, viewer. great. Hey, thanks for the fun fact. Yeah, viewer. Thanks, uh, listener. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the fun fact. Someday I'll make movies and name all the characters after my guinea pigs. Right, here we go. Here's note number three. All right, now here's here's a sticking point for us, Rachel. Rachel and I have talked long and hard about this before, after episode one. So now I guess we get to address it. Note number three. You kept referring to Indiana Jones as a trilogy and did not mention the fourth film, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull 2008. Presumably you don't like it, or at least don't recommend including it in a lockdown marathon viewing, but it would be interesting to hear why not. Why not, Rachel? It just doesn't fit in with the other three. It just sits so nicely as a trilogy, and then, you know, what if, can we can we consider it like, like the Star Wars situation where, you know, you have the original trilogy and then you have the stuff afterwards that can be its own trilogy? And the stuff before think, you forget all about it. I think that's a fair uh, resolution, right? We can come to that agreement. I mean, maybe. we're—I mean, I personally, and I'm sure you are too, Rachel. We're just in this in this league where it's like you don't admit that movie happened. You know, it's the same with um, the Rocky fans. There was a movie called Rocky Five. People deny its existence. Um, for Star Trek fans, there's Star Trek Five and Star Trek Ten both of which we'd rather forget and so don't mention. So for me, it's just that. I mean, Crystal Skull is just terrible. It's just terrible. It's it's hard to believe that Spielberg and Lucas reunited, and together they completely forgot what the character of Indiana Jones was about. It was incredible. Incredible. Just one of the worst examples of, of a sequel nobody needed and, and shouldn't have been made. Don't, not to be harsh about it. This last point was pretty interesting, so so yeah, we can talk about this. Point number four, there's also a TV series in the 1990s, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. I liked it, but I feel like nobody else has seen it. Anyone I mention it to always looks confused and asks, was it a cartoon? No, it wasn't. It was live action and told stories from Indy's early life, including his service in World War One and meeting many historical figures. Have you seen it? And do you have any opinions to share? Yeah, I've often felt like that about this series. I often felt like I was the only one who had seen it. And in fact, I, I felt like I was the only one who saw the very neat thing that they did with the DVD set when they finally released it. Um, Okay, so Young Indiana Jones Chronicles ran for two and a half seasons, I want to say. And by the end, it was running on a very obscure cable network. 
So the viewership was never very high for it. I'm not sure why it was such a hard sell. But the premise of it was that this was an old Indiana Jones. And you never actually saw him. You just kind of like saw his hand once in a while or something like that. Something that he was holding. Something. Uh, telling stories to various people about his younger days. And one of the more interesting things I thought about this series was that there was a continuity to it. But the stories were just run out of order. So he'd be telling you, one week he'd be telling you a story about 1906 in Egypt. And then the next week he'd be telling you a story about 1912 in Italy or something like that, right? So it was just like, because it was just an old guy telling stories. And it would sometimes it would fit the frame story, sometimes the frame story wasn't important or whatever. Okay. So then what happened is, after the thing had gone off the air, George Lucas took control of the thing and said, okay, here's what I want to do. I want to take all these episodes and I'm going to make them into 22 uh, full-length movies. And so sometimes he's taking half of one episode and putting it with a full other episode. Sometimes he's taking parts of three episodes and he's putting them all in chronological order. Now, for some reason, they never released all of these on on. VCR tape, but they did release the DVD set, and they released it with the first three movies. And what they did was, it was so wild, because they listed them by chapter, right? And so, like, the, the movies were, like, 21, 22, and 23, of something like that. They were, like, episode 22 in the Indiana Jones story. Or like this. And I thought it was a really neat box set, and you could still buy it for, like, 200 bucks. <laughs> on Amazon. And okay, so the other thing I wanted to say is when I got this email, I went back and I dug out my old passport drive where I still have these downloaded and uh, I looked at a couple. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty good series. I mean, it's rich of atmosphere. You know, you've got all that, you know, we talked about Casablanca and about how important scenery can be, uh, setting can be for a movie. Um, and this series definitely has that. There's kind of that thing if you're watching the original series where you got to wrap everything up in 45 minutes. So the, the, some of these endings are kind of pat. But then Lucas's cinematic versions kind of lose that feeling. They're, the timing is a little better on them. Uh, it's a little hit or miss, but yeah, it's a neat thing to binge watch for sure. Hey, quarantine viewing, right? Here's 22, 23 episodes, uh, full-length movies. A part-time job to add to your full-time job. Yeah, sure. Have you seen these? I haven't, no. No, it's worth a look. Yeah, it's worth checking out. If, if you love Raiders as much as you do, sure, check them out. Yeah, it's, it's worth a look. Um, I think that the stuff River Phoenix did at the beginning of Lost Crusade is probably better than anything in that show, but I just love that movie. See, that's kind of what I expected the show to be, like an extension of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's along those lines. Okay. It's along those lines. Uh, it's in that area. You know, it, it it doesn't so much explain a lot of stuff. You know, it just it's just those adventures. And, you know, you just, you go to Wikipedia and you look at the titles of the episodes. It's like, you know, these are Indiana Jones shows. So it's it's worth a look. You, you can check that out. Okay. Made a post on Facebook announcing one of the episodes like we always do and received a post from a listener in Australia who sent me a piece on, hey, it's quarantine viewing. Why not watch these really, t truly terrible movies? Oh, hate watching. 
Oh, yeah. Well, the piece was very good because I love bad movies as much as anybody, especially movies that aren't meant to be bad, but are bad. And so I'm all for it. And, and you know, almost all the movies they hit on were classic bad movies. They gave a lot of space to The Room, for example, you know, all-time classic. That'll make you crazy during quarantine. Watch that. But right in the middle of the thing was this big old picture of Bill Murray and Bugs Bunny and Michael Jordan. And I just said, what how can Space Jam possibly be in this? That's one of the greatest movies of all time. What are they talking about? One of the worst Did movies. Did they have of all an time. explanation for that? I'm offended. Well, it's just a one-line throwaway. They just—it's just like—and so, a, an old friend of mine um, responded to the listener, and I hope he listens to the podcast. I don't know if he does or not. Uh, he responded, "Look, there are no bad Bill Murray movies," and I think that pretty much stands for itself. You can go back and you can listen to our Bill Murray episode of the quarantine movies if you doubt me. <laughs> also, a couple of trivia questions for you. Uh, in the classic movies episode, I promised a bit of trivia about Victor Laszlo, the heroic figure of the movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. We never got that. Right, and I never did get to it, and I decided not to edit it out <laughs> in the final mixdown. So let's do it now. Better late than never. Okay, so we are told that Victor Laszlo is Czechoslovakian. However... Victor Laszlo is a distinctly non-Czech and non-Slovakian name. So why is he named that? Why is he named that? Okay, I'll tell you why. Here's why. Because Michael Curtis is a Hungarian. Oh. Michael Curtis, the director of this film, came to America with already over 60 films under his belt in Europe. Okay, He came to California, I think he was 39. And uh, so he spoke a lot of Hungarian on this set, and he was legendary for swearing in Hungarian. And uh, let me tell you, Hungarian is about as impenetrable a language as Japanese, as we saw in Lost in Translation. Really hard to understand for outsiders. And when he was making this film, he just wanted to be dead sure that the hero was a Hungarian. And so he changed the name. He didn't change any of the references to him being from Poland or anything. But, you know, or him having been in a Poland concentration camp, him being Czech, but the name was Hungarian. And, and let me tell you, Laszlo is literally one of the most common both first names and last names in Hungary. It's a very, it's the Hungarian name, pretty much. So there you go. And uh, finally, one of my favorite trivia questions, you name dropped Buster Keaton, Rachel, mm -hmm. in, our, in our classic uh, films thing. Now, of course, one, one very underrated actor who I love very much is Michael Keaton. And, of course, he came up through the comedy ranks. And, Rachel, you probably know that once you get into the Actors Guild, you must register under a name that's never been used. Yep, is true. Okay, well, Michael... Michael decided that he would, you know, since his name was already taken, his real name was already taken, that he would pay homage to Buster and take the name Keaton. Okay. What is his real name? I don't know. This is great. You ready for this? Bring it up. Michael Douglas. What? Okay. <laughs> That's his real name. I was expecting something like uh, Tom Cruise's whole name switcheroo situation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. But and, and that's the thing is that Michael Douglas's father, of course, Kirk Douglas, he changed his name because his original name is one of those, you know, 27 letter long Polish. Oh, names, boy. Right. And, and so he changed it to Douglas. So technically, Michael Douglas's name is not really Michael Douglas, but poor old real Michael Douglas had to change his name to Michael Keaton. Do you know, uh, do you know Rita Wilson's birth name? Rita Wilson. 
No. What is her birth name? It's not Rita Wilson, as you might have guessed. It's Marguerite Ibrahimov. Okay, right. (laughs) Right. But nowadays, it's nice. It's actually nice to see this. I like diversity in names. Well, nowadays, it's actually a good branding tactic. There's right. even there's there's actually quite a lot of controversy in the acting world. I I will just touch upon this briefly, but there are even people that are you know don't have a certain heritage, but if they can play that very well, they will take on a last name that reflects their brand. Oh, so wow. I'll leave that there. You can you know have everyone can have their own opinions on it, but that is a thing that is done. Well, that's pretty negative. Okay, well, I uh, I hope that. You've enjoyed, I think I could speak for Rachel in saying this, that I hope you've enjoyed this mini-series and found lots of good classic movies to watch during this period. i got to say, on a personal level, and I wanted to discuss this just a little bit, I'm going to try not to go out on too much of a bummer here, but I am really quite concerned with the um, future of movies, particularly in America, Canada, uh, maybe even Europe in general, but especially in America, um, I spoke with a friend of mine who, whose opinion I respect very highly, uh, who I used to work with in back in the newspaper days, uh, and he still does film review out there in Albuquerque, although his newspaper just died, possibly forever as well, so I don't know if he's still a movie reviewer. In any case, he was talking to me, and he's of the opinion that if American film is not dead, um, there will be radical changes, such as... Um, the blockbuster is done. Um, so I guess it's a good thing that Marvel Comics movies wrapped their so-called phase one of movies because it doesn't seem likely that they'll get a chance to make another $200 movie if people go back to cinemas at all after this is over. Uh, you wonder if all this home viewing will finish off the already reeling movie industry um, with so much easy access to the classics, to new stuff, to stuff that you can't do in the movies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know, Rachel, I, I feel like, you know, maybe an institution is ending. What do you think? Yeah, it's it's quite disarming when you think about it. Like, you have all of this change happening. You have all of the drama happening with AMC theaters, Mm. Um, which I thought was really strange. And you have, you know, Disney releasing their theatrical features on their streaming platform. What's going to happen? And before the quarantine, like you said, theaters weren't doing great to begin with. Like they were basically surviving off theater snacks, which is why my brother and I, we try to buy theater snacks when we do go to the theater. Um, Who knows what's going to happen? You know, it's really, it's really bizarre and really strange, but I'm actually curious to see. We should ask Walter because I think he's he's got his finger on the pulse on that end of the industry. But yeah, we we can look to Korea though. Like their production system is up and running. They are shooting and releasing Korean dramas like nothing has happened. Same thing probably for their movies as well. I can't confirm that, but their TV is definitely moving along just fine. They, I don't think I don't know. I don't even know if they shut down at all. But then again, they're testing and containment system was on point from thanks to the SARS days. Yeah. That being said, who knows, maybe this will turn into a sci-fi prediction fulfillment in that we will go cloud Atlas and everyone will be in new soul because 
Korea was the only one that was able to keep their media and entertainment system going. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Is that a brighter future for you, Oz? Neo Soul <laughs> with replicants and stuff? I don't know about that. I don't know. You know, I, 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 I'm always a bit of an apocalyptist. And I, so I kind of always look for the ending of things. But the truth is, is that especially as this drags on day by day, this is going to leave permanent scars. And the other truth is whole art forms do effectively disappear from the face of the earth. You can think of everything from the way certain types of pottery are made to opera. I mean, actual and, and Japanese opera. Um, forms die. If you look at something like the state of rock and roll right now, rock and roll seems to be a shadow of its 50s, 60s self. You know, of its rebellious, hardcore, experimental, drawing crowds of 50,000. It doesn't seem like that anymore. Um, art forms do die. And uh, I'm, particularly for, I'm particularly fond of the film art form. So I'm just a tad concerned. On the other hand, you know, Maybe, like in so many other ways, this is a humility thing for America. And yeah, Hollywood would still make movies, but maybe only like 80 or 90 a year. And maybe there'll be a lot smaller works like we tend to get in Europe in the 21st century. Uh, a lot more human dramas, stuff like that. Um, but I don't know. I just... Film as we know it may be over. And the thing is, this may sound chicken little and stuff, but I am completely freaked out by a report that I saw recently that said uh, one of my favorite sports leagues, the Canadian Football League, might be done forever mm-hmm. because of this. They cancel this season and that's it. All of a sudden, now the debt's too high. This league is 120 years old and they might be dead in a month forever. You know, so it's not that unimaginable. On the plus side, I guess, we have streaming services. <laughs> <laughs> and we have plenty of old stuff to look back Yep. In the meantime, you can look forward to more episodes of the MacGuffin Report, the regularly scheduled edition. I guess we'll do that really soon. I sure hope so. And thanks for listening. Stay safe. Stay inside. Stay healthy. We'll see you next time. See you next time on the MacGuffin Report.